us with a bit of sadness we come to today because today is our last uh, in looking at the book, book of Joshua. I'm sure I'll, I'll preach on it again in the future, but it's been, um, this will be our 11th week looking at um, this book and all that it has for us. Now, for those who may not have caught up with all of it, I'm going to do a quick review of all the sermons. So hang on for the next four hours. No, no, I'll be quick. Um, so basically where we begin right in the book of Joshua is um, what we need to realize is that um, God had actually called the Israelites out of the wilderness uh, and into um, God's promises for them. Um, and for those who don't know, those promises came from time of Abraham and Abraham lived in the promised land but it wasn't his own and then and then through his family and finally we get to this point where God is saying it is time to enter the promised land and even for this group of people it was a for them it was a, the situation where they had been there 40 years earlier Joshua and Caleb had and 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 but the generation that went before had failed to to be willing to go into it under the threat that was in the land and so we looked at, yeah, needing to leave the wilderness. We looked at the idea that God commanded Joshua to be, um, and the rest of Israel to not be afraid and to be strong and courageous. That was something that continued throughout the book, that Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous. And he was able to do that because of who God was. Then they came to the crossing of the Jordan. And for me, this was an event that mirrored the Red Sea crossing of so many years ago, but this new generation needed to see God at work. They needed to experience the power of God around them for themselves. And all of a sudden, the Jordan River opened up and they entered through. Then we see the story of Rahab and the idea that God can use anyone. Anytime Rahab is referred to in the Bible, Rahab the prostitute or Rahab the harlot. Now, if you wanted to be called something in the Bible, that's not what you want. Like, you'd sort of go, guys, can you at least drop the, the other bit? But the thing was, she was greatly used of God. And we have this, for me, it becomes this reminder that if God can use Rahab and in her circumstance, then God can use each one of us. It came to the time, as, as before they, they went to Jericho, they set themselves apart and the importance of God's people being set apart to, to realise we are called to be a holy people. We are not called the way the world lives and we're not called to sort of follow along with everything we, they do. We're not called to agree with everything we do. We are called to be set apart and not for our own decision saying this is what I will do and this is what I'll do to actually say, God, this is what I will do what you ask me to do. Jericho, we saw God do the impossible in impossible ways which means everything underneath that is also possible in God's hands. It's a, it was a sermon of faith and that we can trust in God. We saw the danger of sin in the camp when Achan disobeyed God and brought um, the gold and, and, and the robes that he saw and desired. And he brought that back in the camp and how it not only damaged him and his family, but it damaged Israel as well and the dangers of that. We also looked at the Gibeonites and how quickly we can be deceived in the world in which we lived. That becomes something that's very prevalent for us as well because if we are deceived by the world around us, if we live like the world and sort of allow that into our lives, all of a sudden we have to live with the consequences of that. 
A few weeks ago we saw in Joshua's prayer for the sun to stand still. We saw in that, it was a prayer that he prayed, that he prayed with God's will at his heart. And so all of a sudden God answered that prayer, not because Joshua was a great prayer, not because Joshua had power over the sun, but because God said, this battle, your enemies will be defeated totally. And so Joshua prayed a prayer that enabled God's will to have to occur. And then last week we saw 85-year-old Caleb, ready to continue following and serving God with no excuses given or needed. He said, use me, God. So that's a real quick preview, sort of overlap of where we have been over the past 10 weeks. And today we come to our 11th week in the book of Joshua. And again, I don't know about you, but this was one of those passages or one of those verses that becomes very prominent, like it's very well known. Um, As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. I've seen on plaques that people have got up on the entranceways or maybe they, they have it over their TV or favorite verse, highlight in their Bible, but it's, it's a significant verse. But I want to have a look at verse 1 to begin with, uh, Joshua 24, verse 1, just to set the scene. And then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including the elders, leaders, judges, and officers. And so they came and presented themselves to God. Just a point of interest. They didn't come and present themselves to Joshua. They came to present themselves to God. God is wanting to tell us something through Joshua. So we are here to hear from God. Like Joshua wasn't their, their famous person. God was. Um, and, but basically Joshua's gathered all the people together. Now what you'll see if you go right to the end of this chapter, Joshua dies not long after this. doesn't specify how long, but not long after this. And so this is effectively Joshua's last time to speak to the people of Israel. He has spent 40 years in the wilderness... He has been born a slave in Egypt and then um, the battles around um, Canaan to to claim the promised land occurred over a number of years. And they've probably been settling for a few years now and all of a sudden Joshua goes, I don't have many days left. What do I want to say to the people of Israel? And he calls them together to basically um, hear this last challenge that God has, has given laid on Joshua's heart. And what he's effectively done, Joshua actually maps out their history. He he gives them a reminder from where they have come from to where they are now. And he he first he points back at the fact that Abraham worshipped other gods in the Euphrates, in Ur, in that place, that Abraham was with his family and they they worshipped other gods. But God took him out of that, that land into the land of Canaan and he gave him and his descendants this land. And then it's, it's, it's so he, he doesn't sort of spend too much time on, on Isaac and Jacob, but he then jumps down to, to Moses and Aaron and they brought the plagues upon Egypt. And he, there's this earlier on in this Joshua 24, he says, I brought you out as a free people. Joshua's reminding that they were slaves less than 100 years ago, less than 50 years ago. You guys were slaves and God has actually set you free. And I brought you um, and your ancestors. He says, your ancestors came to the Red Sea. But the Egyptians chased after you. And so you had this direction was water that like everyone's going, how are we going to get across? And behind us, we have the enemy army. And Joshua said, God protected your, your ancestors by putting darkness on the Egyptians and making a way through the open sea for the Israelites. And then he speaks briefly that you had time in the wilderness. 
We had that time in the wilderness. But again, in that, God was not absent during that time. God constantly provided for you. And then God, under Joshua, brought you to the promised land. God gave you victory. And we see that especially in, in verse 11. And when you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, as did the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I gave you victory over them. And here is God speaking to the people of Israel. Now again, this wasn't that long ago. I think God is doing this because he knows us. He knew the Israelites, and again, I think we can throw ourselves in in with them here. God knows us at times that we forget too quickly the great things that God has done. Why would they need to be reminded how God had given them victory at Jericho, at Ai, at all the other places that God had provided for them? Why? Because they were probably too busy living the good life to remember what God had done for them. And the thing is, when we get to that place, sometimes we forget what God has done and so therefore our commitment to following God becomes a little bit less because we value that, that good life, that easy life, that comfortable life over the call of God. Now before, well, they were going to be living in tents all their life, so maybe they saw the benefit of, of going into battle. But now the land is theirs and I'm going, well, will following God disrupt that? But here is Joshua mapped out their history and he reminded them of, of what God had done. But Joshua goes on further. He reminds them of God's promises fulfilled. Before Joshua entered the land, there was the promise of God saying, you are going to claim the promises that were given to Abraham and to, to Moses. They're going to be reality in your time frame. But at the beginning of that, you don't actually see those promises real. You've got to walk into them. And so Joshua actually takes time now to remind them. And in verse 13, he says, I gave you land you had not worked on, and I gave you towns that you did not build. The towns where you are now living, I gave you vineyards and olive groves, and though you did not plant them. God, God actually fought the battle for them. God actually won the victory for them. And here he is saying, look at what I've given you. You are now enjoying the labor of other people. Thank you. Like, God is reminding them of of what he has done for them. Again, we need those reminders. We, We need to, I think, again, we need to engage our brain and reflect on what God has done for us. Whether that's writing it down, whether that's speaking it out, whether that's sharing with others, we need to be reminded of the fact that we, God has done good things in our lives. We've got to be able to get to the point where we go, do you know what? I'm going to be okay in this next hurdle because God has done good things in the past for me. When we forget the good things in the past, what happens tomorrow becomes more difficult because we don't think God can or maybe he can't. But we've forgotten about what God did yesterday. So we need to be reminded of God's promises being fulfilled in our lives. We need to be reminded how God has provided for us in those difficult times. We need to be reminded how God has healed us, in, whether that's physically or emotionally or, or even healed relationships that we've had. We need to remember how God has supplied through our church and other ways that God has done that. We need to be constantly reminded of who God is because it impacts the way that we follow Him. And the thing is, the less we remember that, 
what I find in my life, and you may be a whole lot holier than I am, I start taking credit for what God has done in my life. Five years ago, look at what God has done. Two years ago, look at what God and me did. And then today, so look at what I've done. Look at all the achievements that I have achieved and, and all that kind of stuff. I'll blame God for the bad stuff, for the good stuff. I'm going to take the credit on me. Now, when God calls me to go do something else, I'm going, God, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm autonomous. I'm, I'm, I'm in control of my life. Look at what I've done with my life. I wonder how much that breaks God's heart when we take credit for the things that he's done for us. We, we need to be reminded. We need to remind that God gives us stuff that we haven't worked for at times. God has, has, has gifted us in certain ways that we can achieve things that we couldn't do without him. And so Joshua reminded the people of God's promises being fulfilled. But then Joshua turns it around and says, okay, I reminded what God has done. I reminded you of, of God's promises being fulfilled. I reminded you of those things. But here I'm going to challenge you. And so in verse 14, he picks up this. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away, put away forever the idols your ancestors worship when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord alone. Now, you know what jumps out of this verse to me the most? As you read through the book of Joshua, all that stuff I summed up at the start, God doing this, this and this, and sun stands still, buildings collapsing, then be able to overcome any enemy. God has been victorious, victorious, victorious. This is what jumps out of me. There are still people that are taking, carrying around gods in their pocket for when they were in Egypt. They are still holding on to the, going, well, if God lets me down, at least I've got this backup that I've got in my bag. Or in, the, in, that, in that cupboard in the backyard, I can open it up and I, I can worship that piece of stone or that piece of wood or that image of something else. I can rely on that when God has maybe lets me down. He hasn't let me down yet, but I'm still holding on to the other one just in case. And I, I suppose that's why that, that Joshua uses that, that word. He says, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Don't hedge your bets. Don't sort of rely on this God one day and something else the next day. And the thing is, we kind of go, you know what? We don't have idols that we hang on to. For some of us, our wallet is our idol. And we hang on to that real tight. For some of it, it's our position. Some of it's um, our reputation. Some, for some of us, it can be a whole lot of things and saying, that is more important than anything else. And anything that you say in your life, this is more important than anything else. This is above you even, God. Well, that's an idol. That is. And that, that's the, that is the definition of an idol. And so we need to make sure that we are not wanting to rely on other things other than God. Now, God may use the money that he enables us to make. God may use the relationships we have and the character that we have shown and the reputation that we have. But we don't rely on that for our, I suppose, our identity of who we are, our success, our, our value in life. We rely on the fact that we can trust God above all else. So Joshua's put this challenge to us, saying, these idols that you are still hanging on to, put them away, trust in God wholeheartedly. But he then he gives them a choice. Now, I've never heard an altar call like this before, but this is what it was. Because in verse 15, Joshua says, you need to make a choice. Because he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, 
I've never actually heard a sermon that way. So if you don't want to follow God, I'm going to give you another choice. And that's what Joshua effectively does. He says, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in which in whose land you are living. But then he makes it really clear. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, I think what he's trying to do here is that he's saying, you, you need to make a choice. You, you can't just see where it ends up. Now, you can hop in a canoe, no paddles. If there's a bit of um, a flow in the river, you will go somewhere. And I think sometimes we, we live our lives that way. We hop in this, this unsort of steered canoe and go, well, hopefully we'll end up in a good place. Hopefully we'll end up where, where God is wanting us to be. And we just go with the flow. And, and sadly what happens, when we go with the flow, we end up... Because what, what ends up where, where, the flow, where the flow goes? That's where all the rubbish ends up. All the, all the, the trees and all the twigs, it all gets jammed up. Or you end up at a waterfall. Either way, not good places to end up when you're going with the flow. And the thing is, if we go, for the, go with the flow in our world, imagine where you'll get to. Imagine how much our world has changed in the last five to six years. And it's changed immensely. Its values have changed. All of a sudden, truth is not really valued, untruth is accepted. And Joshua's saying, either way, make an active choice. If you want to follow those other things, if you want to follow the gods of, of earth, if you want to follow the gods of, of, of the land that which you are living in, you make that choice. Don't you dare say that down the road, I just got, got caught up in it, I got caught up following along with this. You make a choice today, what are you going to do? And Joshua then makes his choice clear. As for me and my house, as for me and, and my family, and for me I'm going to set my sight on following God and doing all the things that he wants me to do. It was a big claim for Joshua to make. He said, I'm going to give you an out, but know that you need to follow along with God. So what, what we need to realize is what our choices mean for us. What our choices mean for us. If we don't engage in, in, in making a decision, and even the fact that Joshua only talked about that decision, he, he actually sort of said, choose for yourself this day. He actually made it really clear. Make a decision now. Because, you know what? I've had well intentioned, good intentions at the time to do something that never became a choice. I'm fully intending to do this. I'm fully intending to save more money. I'm fully intending to do this. I'm fully intending to be healthier. I'm fully intending to, to read my Bible more, but I will not make that choice. I'm putting that choice off, and therefore that choice never becomes a reality. And in so I'm making a passive choice to go with the fly. So Joshua said, well, you need to understand what our choices mean for us. In, in verses 21 to 24, it says, But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. After Joshua gives them the choice. No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said, Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. 
When we make that choice to wholeheartedly commit ourselves to God and say, I will serve the Lord, I will follow Him, what does that mean? It means I will say yes to God when He asks me to do something. Now, straight away, some of you are hesitant on that one. I will say yes if and when this is the context. No, there's no if, but, or whatever. It's I will say yes. You insert your name here and God says, God, I want you, I want, God wants you to go do this or God wants you to do this or God wants you to do all of these things. And our answer is, yeah, you're not convincing me. Like, um, so the thing is, we get to the point where our yes is our response to God. It's our choice in action. The other thing is really clear in that little passage at the end of Joshua here. It says, it's, I will make my yes public. Do you know what? Like, I suppose that's I, I, the one good thing about an altar call is that you have to do it in front of other people. Um, unless you do it at an empty church all by yourself. But like when you ask to come to the front, you are making a commitment that other people see. Now, I don't think we need to do altar calls all the time, but I think sometimes we need to be very public and very open about the commitment that we have made to God. It might be sharing with an accountability partner within our small group saying, I am committed to doing this. Can you keep me accountable to that? I'm going to share with one person each week for the rest of the year. Well, let's make it 2022. Let's go really big. And all of a sudden, those people can say, how are you going with that commitment? God has asked you to do it. Are you being faithful to that? But when, when we internalize our commitment, it's only between us and God. And, and we go, oh, God is loving. God is forgiving. God is gracious. And so when I slip up the first time and then the second time and then the other 52 times that follow, we kind of go, oh, God is going to forgive me. It's not too big of a deal. But if we are ready and to say, you know what, this is where God is calling me. I'm going to make this public. I'm going to share it with my church. I'm going to share it with these people. I'm going to, I'm going to let people know in my workplace where I stand with God. All of a sudden, that public stand is what we do to actually show who God is in our life. Um, we also see that verse which says, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. In saying that, the choice you are making is that I will do away with the things that stop me from following God. Now, you may not have a little stone or timber idol that you've got in your drawer at home, but do you have anything in your life at the moment that stops you from following God? Stops you saying yes to Him. I will, God, but. That but is the thing that Joshua says we need to get rid of. And when we make that choice to follow God, that's the, that's the thing we're saying, I will get rid of that for the sake of following God. Now, it could be different for each one of us here sitting here today. And so you really need to say to God, is there anything in my life that stops me from following you wholeheartedly? Please insert answer here. If more than one thing, fill out the pages that follow. Like, all of a sudden we let God speak into our life and then if we are certain about our choice, we say, God, I will get rid of that. Now, this could include, but not limited to, God changes our job. God changes how we do our job. God changes our position at work. God actually sort of says, I want you to live here and not here. God says, I want you to actually live in another country and not in this country. God says, I want you to serve in a ministry that you do not want to do. God may say, I want you to give up a ministry that you're currently doing so I can prepare you for the next. 
and we will say, I'm going to do that, I'm going to give that up so that I can continue following God. The end of that verse is, and you yield your hearts to the Lord your God of Israel. Yield means surrender. Yield means saying, your will, not my own. We see a great example of this when Jesus is in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He yielded to God the Father. I want this taken from me, God, but not my will, but yours be done. I will yield to you. Are you ready to yield to God? And not just on the things that we're ready to yield on. Yes, God, I am willing to stop my bank robbing that I never had done before. Okay? Like, um, murder may not be off the cards for those with kids, so I'll leave that one there. You might need to yield that one. But sometimes we yield all the easy stuff for us. Like, and, and we go, oh God, I've never had a struggle with that, so I'm happy to yield that to you. But it's those areas that God said, no, those, those areas that you hold on to tightly, I want you to surrender to me. And, and yield means that I will surrender fully. No, no parts and incompletion. And it wraps up, and, and the people responded, we will serve the Lord, our God, and obey him. Obedience has become such a... It, it's, when we are obedient to God, let me put it this way. I think we spend too much headspace, heart space, spiritual space, defending why we don't follow God. I know I put effort into that. I, I, I make my case before God. God, I don't want to do this. Or maybe I do the act of ignoring. God, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to... Okay, let me deal with it now. God, this is why I shouldn't be doing it. And then maybe I'll go, I, I put my foot down. No, God, I'm not doing it. Now, if I don't get past that, I'm in trouble. But the thing is, all that could go and I could just come back here and say, yes, God. Yes, I will do it. I don't know why you're asking me. don't want to do it, but yes. And that's the idea of obedience. And I, I do believe that we as Christians don't obey quick enough. Maybe we're doing all that stuff first. Maybe we're just out and out. We don't even get past that point. We just go, no, never, not going to happen, God, not me. And all of a sudden, if there's more than a few of us doing that, where God is wanting to take his church, where God is wanting to, to reach into the world, all those things don't happen. So it comes back to that question, are we willing to say, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord? Because the question there is, choose, choose this day, choose this day what you will follow. Will you follow your wallet? Will you follow your position? Will you follow popularity? Will you follow things? Will you follow other things of, of, of giving meaning in your life or will you follow God? And if you make that choice, let it be a choice that you make today and let it be a choice that impacts the way that you follow God. I'm just going to ask the music team to come up. We're going to be singing now, um, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. And in this it says, Your face is all I seek. talks about a focus... On, on something, this is this is all that I want in my life, God, to, to see you and to be with you. And then it goes, I want to take your word and shine it all around. But first help me just to live it, Lord. God needs to do a work in us. 
Now, for some of you, you may have made a, a commitment. You may have had a moment in your life where you've said, as for me, I'm going to serve God, and you followed him faithfully. But at some point in time, something has impacted on that. Something has impacted on your obedience of God. Well, there's a line, line in here that says, um, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Maybe that's where you are today. You need to come back to that choice you made. 